Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to episode 238. I'm joined by Mr. Brandon. Mr. Brandon, how are you doing? Mr. Brandon himself. Mm, that should that be sounds your, very official. Yeah, you should get that on a uh, a name badge or something. That sounds good. I want to have one of those like desk desk plaque things. Yeah, Mr. Brandon Vanderkolk. Yeah, founder, yep. CEO. What sounds best? <laughs> I don't know. CEO. Nah, founder. Probably. Founder. Founder. Self appointed. Yeah. Yeah. Master of the universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did uh, How you going, mate? Yeah, yeah, going well. Um, yeah, just just cruising along. It's been it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting for YouTube content recently, hasn't it? It's like trying to figure out oh. what's working. Um, just experimenting with different things. Yeah, it's been difficult. I don't know what's um, what's going on, but um, YouTube finance contents come off the boil. It's come mm. off the boil. Well, I guess that makes sense. Maybe people don't have as much money. They're not looking to invest right now, so they're not kind of looking for that content. But it has been interesting. And um, we've certainly found that it's more challenging to get kind of the same number of views as what we were pulling. But mm. we've also seen that kind of across the board. Like I've done a bit of analysis into all the other finance channels as well. Yeah. And um, a lot of them seem to be quite, um, quite down at the moment, which is interesting. Yeah. We need another bull run. It's kind of like <laughs> when we started, there really wasn't that much finance content and not that many people watching. And then over mm. the next kind of three or four years, there was kind of this explosion of viewership in finance. And I think now, especially that we've had kind of a couple of big events that have drawn an even bigger audience to finance, like the banking crisis and, and even the COVID situation. Now we're kind of experiencing a lull for the first time rather than in the past, it was kind of always there was more people watching finance just because it was growing so quickly. So maybe that's kind yeah. of part of it. But, um, you know, it's, there's never mm. a dull moment. Well, I mean, I guess it depends who you ask, but <laughs> I think there's never a dull moment in finance. So there's always something that's going to be uh, coming around the corner. You're right. There is always something. I mean, we've had big events. I mean, I got a lot of views. Yeah. We had the COVID stuff. We had the GameStop stuff. We had FTX. Yeah, yeah we had the banking crisis. Um, um, there's been a yeah. lot of those kind of events, which has just been like, whoa, what? Like really interesting cases in finance. But um, yeah, it's, it is weird. It's definitely, um, it definitely is a bit of a lull at the moment. I think just, well, the market's actually on a bit of a tear at the moment. It's kind of charging up towards a, an, uh, an all-time high. But I think just generally people's interest in investing has kind of waned a little bit, um, probably because of the actions of the Fed basically taking everybody's money away from them by raising interest rates so much. So I think That's just true. times are tighter. People aren't thinking about investing as much. They're more thinking about the day-to-day, -day, kind of the cost of living, paying down yeah. their mortgage, you know, suffering from inflation, that kind of thing. But I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting. So thanks, guys. Thanks for still being. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is good. The, the, the good thing about it is you don't want everything to just be going the way that you expect because then you're not challenging yourself. You're not trying to make better content. And I think over the past year, I looked at my, I track all of my hours in uh, the work that I do. And this year so far, I've done more hours than I did last year in total for all of 2022. Mm. So it's kind of wow. been 
a tougher year, but it's also challenged me to work harder and improve things that I hopefully is coming through in the content. So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, um, it's good. It's, uh, it's good. It's coming. It's, 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 it's my new catchphrase. It's coming. Hamish <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> at the casinos yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> no, what have we got to talk about today? Uh, we've got uh, we've got a big update on the Microsoft Activision merger case. We've got more information about that mm. to follow on from last week, especially around Mr. Warren Buffett and what Ooh. he might be doing or has done with hello, his hello. Uh, with his Activision stakes. We'll talk about that. Uh, it's earnings season. Um, we always kind of kick off earnings season with our our the the two uh, well, I guess the two biggest stories of this week, which is Tesla and Netflix. And uh, what else have we got? They always jump in early. They always jump in early. Those two. Yeah, they're yep. they're pretty much straight off the bat. And uh, oh, <laughs> we'll see if we got time. TikTok is testing a, uh, a music streaming service, which I think is really interesting. So I'll talk about that for a little bit. But the mm. funny one, <laughs> I'll read you the headline. I hope we get time to talk about this. Convicted Ponzi schemer granted clemency by Trump, charged with new Ponzi scheme. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting. Isn't that great? That's great. Oh, yeah, so no, funny. We'll, we'll definitely, we'll make time for that for sure. Um, yeah, I definitely want to hear that. <laughs> but uh, with that said, uh, we'll get underway. Today's episode is sponsored by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Uh, screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics, access 10 years of financial data and company filings, and manage your, manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the description, in the episode description, or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors uh, to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. So go check it out. And do you want to hear about a money loss of the win? Uh, money loss of the win? Money loss of the week? Money loss of the I week. I had a... Hmm. T- yeah, money loss of the week. I've got my light right in front of me, hmm. right? And I've got my monitors here. Our set, YouTube set, is over here. So we shift the light, right? And yesterday, I picked up the light, took it over here, and then it just tipped and it came down onto my desk and it knocked my monitors both over and one of my monitors is now completely smashed up. One of them survived, so I guess that's money win. Well, it, but one of them it, is completely. I th- so I thought you were going to say that you broke the light. So <laughs> at least you didn't. No, at least no. you didn't break the light. I'm sure. I'm guessing the light's Ooh, more expensive. Or is yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Well, these monitors are like a thousand dollars each. Oh so, wow. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. It might be, yeah. It's it's not good. <laughs> no, Disaster. No. So it's, it, that was uh, pretty frustrating. Just uh, in the space of about three seconds, bang, there goes $1,000. Yeah, so that was my money loss of the week. That's the worst when Very that happens. Or when you drop your phone and it cracks or you just, oh, you just break yeah. something that's just annoying and it's just costly and it's just... Your heart sinks. That's yeah. like another, actually, while we're on this topic, right? I got um, all four tires replaced on my car, mm-hmm. right? And as, so- like, as soon as I did that, two days after I got all four tires replaced... I went through a pothole and busted two of the brand new tires. <laughs> so annoying. Wow, man, that, happened, that happened ages ago. But yeah, you've, oh you've had gosh. some bad luck. That's, that's, I know. That's no I, I was telling Scott. I was telling Scott, my accountant, that because it's uh, the car's kind of tied up in my taxes anyway, and he just he looked at me and he's like, "Damn, 
you've had a bad week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway. Well, your week isn't as bad as the FTC uh, because oh, uh, they, we we've go. got an update Segway. around. Uh, yeah. Do you like that one? There's, uh, there's an update around the, uh, the uh, Microsoft Activision merger case. Um, and I'll give a bit of a, just a, again, a very quick timeline of everything involved in this case, just, just to keep everyone yeah. up to speed. Uh, so uh, Microsoft, of course, is uh, acquiring or merging with uh, Activision. They aim to close the uh, acquisition uh, by the 18th of July, uh, which was kind of fast approaching. Uh, so the Federal Trade Commission uh, then filed a lawsuit to block the acquisition uh, for against uh, antitrust and monopolistic kind of reasons. Uh, the trial was set to be held in August. Uh, so because the merger was going to finish before uh, the trial, the FTC had to file for an injunction, which is just a fancy way of saying they wanted the court to postpone the merger until after the trial. Uh, and last week we spoke about how the judge uh, ruled against the FTC, so no injunction um, was put in place. And then what we mentioned last week at the end of that story was that the FTC uh, was going to appeal that um, yep. that ruling. Uh, and it was kind of, uh, un- we were unsure whether they were actually going to get the appeal through before the merger went through on the 18th. So that brings us up to speed uh, to where we are this week. And we have a few pieces of, uh, same as last week, we've got a bunch of news coming out around this story. The first one is, of course, um, the FTC did have their, uh, they went to the appeals courts and they lost. Um, so uh, they went to the Ninth Circuit uh, Appeals Court on uh, Friday. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they were, they were denied. So, um, Uh-oh. yep, not, not good news for the FTC. Uh, and essentially that left the only thing really standing in Microsoft's way, although not quite, I'll talk about that in a second, but the main thing now standing in Microsoft's way is UK regulators. Um, so UK regulators had previously blocked the deal. Um, EU had allowed it through, uh, the U S was kind of up in the air and the UK um, had blocked it. Uh, but we do have more news on that as well, uh, which is that Activision uh, announced yesterday that they have agreed to extend the deadline for the merger until the 18th of October uh, to allow negotiations with uh, UK antitrust regulators uh, to continue. So they've mm-hmm. essentially postponed the merger and um, they're now back at the table with UK regulators, which is kind of the main regulatory body now kind of standing in their way. And it seems as though that that's not even going to stand in the way because I think the UK regulator was saying that they are open to talking with Activision Blizzard to to come to some sort of agreement because I believe the um, the reasons why the FTC blocked um, the uh, merger were, were different to the reasons that the UK regulator, I think the UK regulator was talking about like cloud gaming and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so, but yeah, we were speaking about it last week that um, the UK regulator, I can't remember what the UK regulator is called. It's the uh, Competition um, they were, and Markets Authority. Competition and Markets Authority um, were considering discussing things again with Activ- uh, with uh, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. So there you go. I, I don't, I think that, um, I think this is just a kind of a nicety so they can shake hands and get something done. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Lulu Chang, the CCO, the chief communications officer of Activision said 
uh, given the global regulatory approvals and the company's confidence that CMA, the um, Competition and Markets Authority in the UK, now recognises there are remedies available to meet their concerns in the UK, the Activision Blizzard and Microsoft Board of Directors have authorised the companies to not terminate the deal until uh, after October 18th. Uh, we are confident in our next steps that our deal will quickly close. Um, and yeah, there you go. It, it kind of uh, it kind of brings <coughs> up a funny situation because, of course, what we spoke about last week was the FTC trying to postpone the merger with an injunction so that they could have their court hearing, uh, their court trial in August. Now, the <laughs> now the the merger is postponed until October. So the question is. Does that actually open the door for the FTC uh, to continue with their trial? Uh, and it actually technically does. Uh, technically, the case actually hasn't been thrown out. So if the FTC right. wants to proceed with their trial, uh, they can in August. And it will be before the merger goes through, which is everything oh, that they the were heck? arguing for uh, last week. So it's kind of a weird turn of events. Uh what? Although, yeah, that's weird. Because, because because the situation really is that uh, the courts last week didn't actually throw the case out. They just blocked the injunction. They just blocked the yeah. the, the the postponement of the deal. Um, however, this comes with a big pinch of salt, which is the denial in of the injunction and then the appeal is a very strong indication of how the courts are likely to find an actual trial. Uh, because right. not as much evidence even needs to be presented in order to get an injunction compared to actually winning the case. So the fact that the injunction was thrown out and the appeal uh, means that the, winning the lawsuit at trial is is probably very unlikely. And in almost every case, the FTC has dropped the case after losing the injunction. Um, so right. uh, we'll see what, what happens ultimately. I think at this stage, we don't know if they're going to proceed with trial Um so we'll kind of see. I mean, even last week, uh, the fact that they went to appeals uh, was already kind of unprecedented. They usually stop before even going to appeals. So it looks like they're very, uh, they have strong conviction on this case. Um, mm. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But it is kind of funny that last week they worked so hard to get this injunction, yeah. couldn't get it. And then Activision and Microsoft just said, we're going to extend it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I-, I wonder why they've done that. Why they haven't just been like, now, now with that information, it it makes sense. Why why would they have done that? Why wouldn't yeah. they just been like, all right, let's close the deal, get it done, get it done, get it done. Yeah, well, well, I, I mean, they want the UK regulators on side, and it's kind of like they got the UK regulators back at the table by winning the injunction case. In, in a way, like that was kind of the spark right. that got the UK regulators to say, oh, we're the only ones standing in the way now. So it's kind of a weird, it's just a weird mix of this regulator looking at that regulator and then and deciding what to do. So it was like, it was the UK regulators that were like, oh no, we're the only ones stopping this. Yeah. So then Activision and Microsoft, they're like, that's okay. We'll work with you guys so you can save face. We'll extend the timeline. And yeah. now they're essentially by coming to some sort of agreement with the UK regulator, they're doing the same thing to the FTC, where the FTC is going to be like, oh, we're the only regulator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Yeah, that's so strange. So so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, uh, I I haven't read too much on this, but I saw there was a bunch of lawmakers in in the US who want the FTC to, uh, they signed some kind of petition for the 
for the FTC to drop this case because it is very expensive. And so far it's just been loss after loss after loss for the FTC. So I think it's probably likely that they don't go to trial, I I would imagine. Um, But but we never know Um, and we'll we'll kind of see. Maybe we'll have some some updates around this um, next week. Mm, Yeah. And in following up on that... Mm. In in other Activision Microsoft news, um, Mr. Warren Buffett, hey, what on earth has he done? Yeah, so... uh, Big news. Yeah, so we were talking about this last week. So after the injunction uh, last week, this Activision stock surged to about $90 per share and the sale price is $95 per share. Uh, So almost the stock price was basically reflecting very little uncertainty about the, the future of this merger going through. And uh, one aspect that we've been watching is uh, Mr. Warren Buffett through Berkshire Hathaway's uh, investment in Activision, which was kind of this risky arbitrage or a workout, I think he called it, uh, Mm -hmm. where you buy into a a company that's being acquired and you're essentially betting that the acquisition goes through and and kind of betting on that uncertainty. And uh, yeah, it seemed likely, or at least my instinct from last week was that Buffett would sell most or all of the investment given that the risk reward profile has shifted so much. It's There's not much to be gained by holding Activision anymore if it's just purely for the merger trade. Um, and of course, there's still kind of some risk that it won't go through. Uh, and that actually ended up happening. So this week, um, Berkshire Hathaway disclosed a 1.9% stake in uh, Activision uh, compared to 6.3% uh, reported uh, at the end of March. So... Um, the majority of uh, Berkshire's stake in Activision has been sold. Uh, and the remaining stake, uh, you might wonder, why not sell the the whole stake? Well, it actually wasn't Buffett that bought into Activision in the first place. There's two other managers mm. at Berkshire, Ted Weschler and Todd Combs, and they were the first ones to actually invest into Activision in 2021. And if you look at that purchase, it was for 14.7 million shares. And how many shares does Berkshire hold today? 14.7 million shares. So oh. all of the shares that Buffett himself had purchased after seeing his two other investment managers make a small investment into Activision, all of Buffett's investment is gone. Uh, and what remains is the amount that was there prior to Buffett actually um, making an investment. So um, Interesting. So Buffett is out. Buffett's out. And it well, of course, we don't really know. You know, it could be a coincidence, but, yeah, it's, true. but it's the exact number of shares. So yeah. I think it's very likely yeah. uh, that uh, the uh, Ted and Todd's uh, shares are completely still there and Buffett is completely yeah. out. But yeah, I guess we don't really know. But it looked... It, yeah, that's true. It, it, it's either <laughs> either they're making a joke about it because it's to the share <laughs> yeah, or it is that that's the situation. Um, it's definitely not an accident. Um, yeah. So. Right. There you go. So he's bounced. So yeah, would he have made? He would have made money on this, but just not the full amount. No, just not the full amount. But uh, yeah, he he would have. He would, certainly would have made money. And and as we kind of mentioned, it's, there's not that much upside left. So yeah. considering there is still, I would imagine a, some reasonable percentage of risk that this merger fails. Um, I think it's very small at this point, but uh, certainly yeah. the risk reward profile is, is, has has shifted, at least certainly in, in Buffett's eyes, um, that's the mm. case. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Do we have anything else to add on onto this story? Yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to add at the end was uh, 
kind of just a funny side story to this, not really relevant at all. But uh, uh, <laughs> during the injunction hearing, a bunch of uh, confidential information from both Microsoft and Activision was leaked. <laughs> and the way that it oh, was really? leaked was pretty funny. So with these court cases, of course, they're, they're kind of private court cases because there's a lot of intellectual property and confidential information. So all of the documents are kind of held in the courtroom and used and so, so on and so forth. And then they redact with, with markers the confidential information when they release the, the court documents publicly because you, right. can, you can request court documents. But they redact all the private yep. information. And uh, the person who redacted them didn't do a very good job. <laughs> Whichever, whatever <laughs> Sharpie they used... Uh, when you actually <laughs> scanned the documents, all, all you could see all of it. So all of the redacted oh, so or, or a lot of the redacted information was was kind of leaked. A um, couple of like the, I guess, more important um, things that were leaked was uh, Microsoft's cloud business revenue. So their Azure revenue uh, was uh, found to be less than half of Amazon Web Services. So really just show how um, far ahead Amazon is in the, cl- in the cloud computing wow. space. Um, they leaked the costs of a bunch of past games, which you know might not be super relevant, but it's kind of interesting. Like The Last of Us Part Two, they spent $220 million on it, which is an enormous wow. amount to spend on a game. Uh, and also the the internal estimate uh, estimated value of Call of Duty was revealed to be $16 billion. So um, Whoa, that's kind of mind-blowing. Um, yeah, they're making a lot of money from selling Jeez. skins and guns and stuff, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> True, true. Hey, well, that's the thing as well is that Call of Duty, even when it has a bad release, it's still like the top selling game. Like it's still way up there on the charts. So yeah, wow, $16 billion for just one single game franchise. Unbelievable. Yep, they are. They're selling a lot of copies. They're selling a lot of skins. (laughs) What, What else can you buy? Uh, loot crates or something like oh, that. Probably. I'm sure I'm there's that sure, actually. microtransaction. <laughs> Do you still play COD or not? No, really I haven't played in a long time, actually. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, there's all those microtransactions, isn't there? Yeah. It's uh, it, it's one of very few franchises that is just yeah. It's kind of it's. I mean, it's been around for so long, and it it just seems like it's kind of a never-ending franchise. Um, mm. that's probably just gonna continue i mean it's a it's almost the same game every year so it's not like anything really changes and it's it's a yeah it's a game people like to play so yep the maps change slightly yeah. <laughs> the guns change a little yeah pretty much and that's about it that's about it um, yeah there you go so okay so let's let's finish off this story what what do you think now the likelihood is that um that the acquisition gets done uh, I mean, it's, I think it's probably almost a certainty, but I don't actually, I don't know. You reckon? I, I think so. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually don't really, it brings up an interesting point because even, you know, prior to all of this stuff, I don't actually know how people do these kind of bets that, that Buffett did where mm. they're able to somehow reach some probability of the merger succeeding. Um, yeah. assuming no inside information that isn't publicly available, yeah. what public, I, I would be super curious to see what publicly available information are you using to say this merger is likely to go through? Is it just, you mm. know, having lawyers look over the situation and, and, and come to a consensus like what, you know, yeah. and, and is it overwhelming in one direction versus the other? So you're able to make the bed or is it, you know, 50, 50, 60, 40, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, that th- to me, it's unless you know 
I guess there was a huge uh, precedent of, of cases f- filing a, a certain way with very similar businesses. I'm not really sure how you could could know, um, but I'd be yeah. curious to to know what that process is like. So I, I really don't know. I mean, court cases. I, I was just going to say for fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, my my thing has always been don't go against the US government, <laughs> but they're losing. So yeah, maybe it's don't they go against losing. Microsoft. Don't go... <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah. I reckon there's an eighty five percent chance that it happens based on absolutely 80, nothing. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. Anyway. You heard it here first. There we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where should we go next? Um I don't mind. Wherever you want to go. Oh, uh, we better talk about some earnings, right? We'll yes. talk about Tesla earnings and then we can talk about Netflix earnings after that if you like. Um, I don't have too much to say on Tesla this time. I was just listening to their conference call. I got about three quarters of the way through. Um, but yeah, let's let's go through it. So Tesla, their automotive revenue came in at $21.3 billion, up 46% year over year. Wow. And their total revenue came in at $24.9 billion. So $21.3 out of the 24.9 is just selling cars. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, yeah, so it's definitely the, the majority of their business. Um, so 24.9 billion, that was up 47% year over year. They're, so think about this. Their revenue's up, um, up 47% year over year. Their gross profit was only up 7% year over year oh. to 4.5 billion. Yeah, so right. costs... Up. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, gee. The, um, I'm still I'm still perplexed every time they come out with a report report and it's 40, 50% revenue growth. It's just it is mind blowing, especially given the environment we're in and some of the other numbers we've seen from other companies. Um mm. yeah, it's crazy. They're just able to sell their cars. They keep making more cars and people keep and, buying them. And they're it's not crazy. They're not small anymore. They're a they're a big automaker. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't remember what, there must be over a, they're over a million units, right? And I think they're, they're well over a million yeah. units. Um, yeah, I think trailing 12 months was like 1.6 million units or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, they're by no means a small automaker. I mean, <laughs> to, no, to be, they're, to they're big, they're not their as pace. big as the, the, no. the big dogs. No, they're not doing they're still got a long way to go before they're, but they're not, they're not like a little niche automaker no. anymore. Definitely not. Yeah, no, definitely not. No, they're well, a mass manufacturer. What's it? Yeah, like a Toyota must be. What are they like? 10, 15 million? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think like around maybe ballpark ten. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so they they they're getting there. Long way to go, but they're getting there. Um, so yeah, their gross profit was only up seven percent year over year. So they um, up to four point five billion. Uh, operating margin was down to nine point six percent from fourteen point six percent a year ago. And overall, their net income came in at two point seven billion, up twenty percent year over year. So that's pretty crazy. It shows you, <laughs> you know, we started with what total revenue of twenty four point nine, and by the bottom of the income statement, we whittled twenty four point nine down to two point seven. Yep, <laughs> it's an expensive business. <laughs> expensive business, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Building cars, eh? Building cars. Mm. Um, free cash flow came in at $1 billion for the quarter, up 62% year over year. So I thought that was quite interesting. Although that number is very bouncy, very, very bouncy, depending on what they're doing yeah. um, at any given time. 
Okay, let's talk about their operations, Hamish Hodder, because I always find that to be more interesting, just yeah. like what they're up to, what they're doing. Um, so they produced 479,700 cars in Q2, uh, up 86% year over year, which is a new quarterly record for them. So well done. And that is thanks to the ongoing ramp up at Texas and Berlin Gigafactories. Hmm. So yeah, pretty pretty staggering. You know, we're in this kind of macro environment. And they just yeah. post 86% production growth year over year it's pretty funny <laughs> and the amount of articles i've seen over the past two years saying tesla has a demand problem and all of, all of this stuff and it's just yeah i mean I, i've never kind of taken true. a stance on it but it's just watching it has just been mind-blowing just yeah no they they don't have a demand problem at least so far no, <laughs> no and i mean their 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 strategy is if they ever do have a demand problem they're happy to take lower margins for a bit because their mission is first and foremost to get more electric vehicles out into the world so yeah they just like i think was the last quarter they just dropped their prices a little bit flood of orders came in yeah so They've got that uh, that little lever if they need it. Yeah. Um, in terms of their solar, so 66 megawatts of solar deployed, which is down 38% year over year. They noted that high interest rates are meaning just less solar purchases happening right now. So that so that kind of part of their business, which is very small anyway, is not really doing much at the moment. Uh, 3,653 megawatt hours of battery storage was deployed in the quarter, up 222% year over year. So now that they're kind of starting to get on top of their battery cell situation, the amount of... Um, grid-scale batteries that they're able to deploy is going up quite a lot. Um, some other stats, their mobile service fleet is up 22% year-over-year. They have 29% more locations around the world year-over-year and 33% more superchargers. There's now 48,000 supercharger connectors around the world at 5,200 different locations. Wow. There's quite a few. Quite a few. Quite a few petrol stations, as we would say. Gas stations, if you're in the States. That's um, <laughs> The gas station of the electric car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they made a couple of deals recently, didn't they, with, uh, with traditional automakers around uh, allowing, did. allowing some of them to use the superchargers? I think I saw something like that recently. They did. So, Tesla's funny, right? They designed their, um, the charging port, and the, this is a Tesla design right? They designed right. it <laughs> and they called the port the North American charging standard. <laughs> How good's that? That's like the the top, like that is confidence right yeah, there. Yeah. That is confidence. So they called it the North American charging standard. But yeah, you're right. Um, over the last few weeks or across the past month or two, um, a significant number of companies, including Ford, GM, Mercedes, Nissan, Polestar, Rivian, uh, Volvo, and Electrify America as well. So not just a car company, but Electrify America have announced that they will be adopting NACS, a charging standard developed by Tesla over a decade ago for their North American products. So there seems to be this gravitation towards the Tesla designed port for electric vehicles. And the reason for that is because they have come to agreements with these car companies that if they put in the ports, then they will let um, the other car manufacturers use the Tesla supercharger network which, as we said before, 48,000 connectors across 5,200 locations around the world, they're probably... I mean, it saves them having to build out their whole... Uh, a whole new um, charging system throughout the US. So it's... 
seems like a match made in heaven and uh well clearly it is because these other auto makers are now coming on board and adopting the tesla charge port so um so they can use the supercharger network there you go yeah it, it's kind of it's very strange so yeah you've got like an automaker basically that owns like the gas station <laughs> network yeah. in a way like the, yeah. the electric equivalent no definitely um i wonder um, did, and that's the thing sorry, go on. sorry yeah I was just going to say, nobody, like the other one is the Electrify America grid. Nobody uses it because it's just so broken, right. so unreliable. Like you don't know if you show up there, half the charges are busted. Uh. Whereas the Tesla network, they're like, well, of course there's going to be some that are not operational, but Tesla yeah. maintains, <laughs> like rigorously maintains a supercharger network, fixes problems. It's yeah, very expensive. Anyway, sorry, what were no, you saying? All I was going to say is, do they, uh, d- does Tesla charge different prices? Do you know if they charge different amounts for, for Tesla vehicles versus other? Because I would imagine that maybe they could get away with doing that in the short term, but long term, they probably can't. I would imagine from an antitrust mm. perspective, especially if the entire f- network is supercharges owned by Tesla, I would imagine like if, a, if an automaker owned a, pe- a bunch of petrol pumps, they couldn't... Um, they couldn't offer, you know, their customers better prices. But may- maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it definitely costs costs Tesla owners to go and use the supercharger network. So, But I don't know whether the price um, for electricity will be higher yeah. if you don't drive a Tesla. Yeah. You're right. That you, Maybe initially they can get away with it, but you do raise a good point. It's, it sounds We've like an seen antitrust. Like the antitrust <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. They get a red flag. But I, I honestly don't know. I... Mm, I can see them charging more because they what they wouldn't want is they wouldn't want to allow anyone to charge at a supercharger and then that makes the customer experience for Tesla owners worse. Because, yeah. oh, you know, I used to be able to get a charge and now it's full of Fords and GMs and Nissans and that kind of thing. Mm. So it'll be an interesting... I don't know how they quite get around that, yeah, whether they sure. just focus on expanding the supercharger network so that that's demand like it's not an issue you know, yeah supercharger congestion is just not a problem i don't know yeah but yeah it will be interesting but th- i think this is still a couple of years away yeah so. yeah, yeah it was just super long term it was just an interesting thought i just had mm. then it, was just, it is an interesting thought mm. yeah yeah who knows um yeah. yeah um anyway that's that's all that i kind of took out of their uh earnings report um their their earnings release um couple of things that i noted from the conference call uh model y became the best selling vehicle of any kind in q1 and i imagine it still is considering that's um elon didn't say anything different um they are targeting 1.8 million units this uh this year uh q3 production however will be down because they're doing a summer break and they're going to do some factory upgrades uh globally so they're gonna just implement upgrades shut everything down come back bigger and better um he said autonomy will drive volume through the ceiling next level that was elon's direct <laughs> quote so he's he's definitely uh definitely bullish on his autonomy right. but they didn't actually talk about it too much in the earnings release which i found interesting they didn't talk about it that much in the earnings release and then they talked about it a lot in the conference call he said mm-hmm. uh the next product the robo taxi has quasi infinite demand <laughs> so he's really, um, he's he's really bullish. He says it's a revolutionary design made in a revolutionary way. Highest uh, units per hour of any vehicle ever is what they're going for. So he's really like, really backing this idea of autonomy. And he said during the mm. conference call, like, 
the current size of the company, the revenues and everything, like that just won't be relevant as soon as we solve autonomy. So he's really like yeah. really deep on the autonomy bandwagon here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you imagine a scenario where they do solve autonomy and there is a robi- robo taxi network, yeah, the entire industry just completely changes. Um, it does. You, yeah. Like you've kind of mentioned before, it immediately becomes, you know, your vehicle is, is now an asset in, if it's being yeah. used in that respect. It's almost like a house where you can buy it for yourself or it can be an investment you that, you, that you rent out. Um, so th- th- there's no doubt that the economics of the, the auto business and, and, and the other and rideshare businesses changes completely the moment that happens. But it is, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of chuckle because it's, it's funny. Like every couple of years, Elon comes out and says, you know, something he's bold about about it and yeah. then it just kind of goes quiet for a while because it's obviously proving to be much more challenging than I think anybody yeah. anticipated. Um, That's the thing. He said that full self-driving will be ready and out there every year for like the past six years. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I wonder <laughs> like, when the first time he said that it was coming in the next two years or something. I swear like back in 2017. It was ages ago. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was saying it's coming. <laughs> yeah. So he, he does lose marks for realistic timeframes. However, um, it, it was very interesting, like just his brain, like listening to how he's thinking. He is so deep on the idea that they they will solve autonomy and that will be a revolutionary turning point for their business. Um, it's just interesting that that's how he's thinking about the company. He's not like he was basically like dismissing what they're doing. Right? It's like uh, what's happening now. It's like it's totally irrelevant, guys. Like don't even worry about what's happening now. The the thing that matters is the autonomous driving. So anyway, I thought that was very interesting. On that uh, note, he kind of said that they're uh, trying to ramp up their their dojo training computer efforts. Um, he said there's no substitute for a massive amount of data. Tesla has an order of magnitude more data to feed the neural nets than all the other car companies combined. There's now 300 million miles driven on full self-driving beta but he says that will that will soon be irrelevant as well just because it will exponentially grow so he thought i thought that was interesting uh he said that when it's all ready and you know available they are keen to license full self-driving to other auto manufacturers um, which I thought was good. They're not going to keep it for themselves. They're going to give it to other auto um, auto companies as well, uh, which could be a very big... If, I mean, if they're like easily number one and they just get there, um, kind of like a Google Maps, I guess, then, yeah, they can just collect revenue from it, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, because the valuable part is not the hardware, really. I mean, Tesla makes great cars, but that's not the valuable bit that we're talking about mm. here. It's the software, and it would be weird. Yeah, yeah. in any other software respect... Well, Apple does it a little bit, but uh, most of the time companies uh, don't really care what hardware um, people use because there's so much value that can be drawn out of um, out, out of the software. So, yeah, it makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, only a couple more things. 4680 battery cells, there was 80% growth in production in Q2 over Q1, and they surpassed 10 million production cells produced. And then on the Optimus robot... Um, Elon just said they're having to build their own actuators. There was no like off-the-shelf good humanoid robot actuators that were you know manufacturable and cheap that they could use. So they're going to do it themselves. They're hoping to have a walking robot with the Tesla actuators in November. He was asked when will it be able to do useful things. Elon uh, says they're going to use it first in their own factories, and they hope sometime next year it will be able to do something useful in their factories. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I forgot about that robot to be honest. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. It's just, a, it's just You're a, bearish on it. No, 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 no. I'm not bearish on it. I just, I just, I'm just looking forward. Every time I hear anything Elon says, I just look into the future and I just say, oh God, there's just going to be robots everywhere <laughs> carrying pot plants, putting it down, watering the pot plant, <laughs> making coffees. Like <laughs> you just know, you know, like, um, you just know when it, when it's a thing, there's going to be some that just get some glitches. You remember like playing, I don't know if you ever played like Skyrim or something and just yeah. half the NPCs are just like walking into walls just like yeah. trying to walk through a wall. Like that'll be, you'll look outside and like, oh, look, one of those Tesla bots is trying to walk through that wall over there. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be weird. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, a, it's a strange oh, future. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had for Tesla earnings. Wrap it up before I keep yammering. Hopefully that's a good kind of concise overview of where they're at and what they're looking at. Yeah, oh, that was great. That was good. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about um, tell me about Netflix. Keen yeah. to hear what's going on at Netflix. Yeah, it's a pre- pretty uh, all eyes on Netflix. I think for the for this quarter, just because uh, they've been doing a lot in terms of kind of password sharing crackdown. Uh, yes, and uh, it was actually rolled out now to some extent in more than a hundred countries during the quarter. So. Um, Right. It's 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 in full force. So a lot of people are kind of uh, keeping an eye on Netflix to see how it's doing. Um, uh, so they released their quarterly earnings. Uh, revenue for the company uh, came in at eight point two billion dollars, which was up just two point seven percent year over year. So pretty measly uh, revenue growth. Um, and uh, similar story to last quarter. Uh, the biggest impact is still foreign exchange. Um, the, the the strength of the US dollar against all the other currencies that they're mostly collecting their revenue in, like the euro, for example, and other other currencies, um, has been kind of a big impactor. So uh, FX impact was negative 4.3%. Um, so that was kind of a big downward pressure on revenue growth. Um, but they had very good uh, subscriber growth, which uh, offset that, uh, that impact. So subscribers increased by 5.9 million during the quarter, bringing their total to 238.4 million subscribers, up 8% year over year. So massive quarter for them mm. in terms of subscriber growth uh, and, and subscriber additions. And uh, certainly uh, certainly shows that, uh, or at least to some extent, that they've been able to capture uh, some of those users who were using Netflix but not necessarily paying for Netflix. Um, so yeah. Big quarter. How does it work? How does it work again? Just roughly, I can't even quite remember. Um, like in terms of how they're tracking people. Yeah. So yeah, well, yeah. So they can do. So here's the thing. So there's a hundred million households that they estimated globally that were using Netflix but um, not paying for it. Um, and they can use. I, I believe this is how they're doing it. I'm not actually 100 percent sure, but uh, IP addresses give pretty approximate uh, location. Mm-hmm. It's not you know, house by house. It's not even, it's not even, it's yeah. really kind of not even suburb by suburb really. Um, but they can get reasonable uh, location. So if, if, a, if an account is being used in two households, um, then they'll be asked to, to pay. Um, it's not perfect. It's never oh, going to be, okay. um, they're never going to capture everybody because they're not yeah. asking for your address or your specific, they're not tracking yeah. your specific location. So for example, if you lived, uh, if, if you and your next door neighbor, for example, or someone down the street shared the same account, they're not going to be able to tell that you're two different households. Uh, right. So okay. they're able to capture a small portion. So of the hundred million, um, they've had net paid additions of about six million uh, so far in the f- in the first quarter of applying this password sharing, which is pretty good. Right. Um, 
And this is kind of the way that I, I thought it would always go. It's never they're going to capture all of them. It's that even if they capture a small amount, the recurring More. revenue that they're getting from those people is considerable. And it's a market that they can now access that that was kind of unavailable because people were just sharing accounts. Right. Um, right, I see. In terms of uh, average revenue per member, uh, it was actually down 1% uh, on an FX neutral basis. And that's really because... Uh, they gained a lot of subscribers in the Asia Pacific region, and um, that continues to be a, a kind of a low um, revenue segment for their business. Um, we get it cheaper, do we? <laughs> well, not us, but other parts of Asia. <laughs> Damn it. Not, not us. Yeah, we must have, I mean, in terms of dollars, we must have one of the most expensive because the Australian dollar is quite a bit weaker than the US dollar. So I think um, mm. yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty expensive here. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, uh, prof- in terms of profitability, operating margin uh, improved from twenty percent to twenty-two percent. Uh, so even with only th- less than three percent revenue growth, uh, their operating income grew sixteen percent year over year to one point eight billion. So um, that's kind of that uh, operating leverage. There was a good video that uh, investing with Tom did on Netflix about companies with operating leverage, um, and he, he spoke about Netflix, and that kind of um, speaks to why small revenue increases can drive. Um, pretty considerable increases in in cash flow or operating income. Mm. Uh, In terms of uh, engagement, which is arguably the most important metric, at least in my view, it's the most important metric. How are people actually spending their time? I mean, people might Mm. change which subscriptions they use in the short term or or cut back their spending, but ultimately how people are actually spending their time is going to be the best determiner of, of which companies in this space do well over time. Uh, and we just got engagement data out of the US uh, that we can look at. And uh, it's kind of the most interesting time to look at engagement data, in, in my view, because in the US, school just ended. So you get to see the shift in how people spend their time uh, and how kids are spending their time, because kids now contribute to a large part of the overall TV viewing time. And you get to see how are kids spending their time, which is kind of the future of entertainment. Um, rather than kind of looking at how it how it looks now, which is mostly people who are kind of older and still using traditional um, traditional TV. Uh, during the month, traditional TV lost uh, three whole percentage points of market share in a month, which is a massive decline. Uh, streaming now represents 37.7% of all TV viewing. The biggest piece of that was YouTube with 8.8% market share, uh, followed by Netflix at 8.2%. And then Hulu at 3.5%, and then all the rest of the streamers have 2% uh, each. Which, a couple of things to note here, um, it's not surprising to see YouTube continue to be a massive piece of that pie. YouTube is just a beast, um, and I think it's going to continue to be um, such a large part of engagement. And it's also kind of interesting to see that engagement for Netflix actually went up after the password crackdown. Because you would imagine there'd be a large amount of people who uh, were using Netflix for free, uh, and then were blocked, and those people just decided to no longer watch Netflix. You'd imagine there would there'd mm. be some portion of that, but the fact that Netflix's engagement actually went up during the quarter, uh, is or during the, that month in particular, is um, is kind of impressive. Yeah, right. There you go. Uh, so streaming, so streaming is thirty-seven. Sorry, I'm just trying to read through the numbers. Streaming is thirty-seven point seven percent, and of that. Netflix, yeah, Netflix gets eight point two. Well, yeah, crazy. The eight point two is. I wonder what. Yeah. So the other stuff is cable. What else? Yeah, so just cable TV and broadcast TV are the majority broadcast. of, of uh, TV viewing time uh, still yep. today. 
uh, it's been yeah. kind of shifting at a one percentage point per month kind of thing for for a few years now. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, streaming. I believe streaming. Yeah, streaming is now the largest piece of that pie. Uh, that recently right. happened the yeah. last couple of months. So, yeah, right. not, cool. not overly uh, surprising. Uh, they also mm. started reporting, which I thought was interesting, the number of views as well as watch hours of their shows. So they've always reported watch hours, Ooh, but now they're reporting views, which is kind of interesting. Um, just another way you can kind of um, think about the performance of their shows. So their biggest show, Squid Game, mm. for example, um, had the equivalent of 265 million people watch for a total of eight hours each which is an astounding figure. I, I kind of think of it in terms of, you know, thinking of a Mr. Beast video, for example, he gets kind of 100 million mm. views and he's able to, I would imagine, engage that audience for eight minutes at a time, right? It's like eight minutes, 100 yeah. million people. And, and some of these shows, obviously it's not the same production or anything like that, but it's crazy to in entertain 250 million plus people for eight hours on average each, which is- um, Yeah, that's crazy. Which is kind of a crazy That's statistic. insane. Yeah, this is cool, actually. I like that they, they... So, they give us watch time and now they give us views as well so we can get average view duration as well. Yeah, yeah, I I exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I've, I've said this for so long. I just want other media companies to do this because you know they have all this data and I, yeah, they're, they're not going to do it because it probably looks really bad <laughs> compared to Netflix's number yeah. just because they have a big audience. <laughs> but I want them to do it because I'm curious about how shows like Succession or, or House of the Dragon, how are these shows mm. in terms of watch hours? You know, because they've got these massive budgets, House of the Dragon, for example, massive budget. Uh, you know, how is that converting into actual people consuming that content? Is it niche content or is it actually, you know, widely viewed like some of these shows? So. Yeah. I want to see the stats for uh, that Lord of the Rings show. It's got to be abysmal. Man. <laughs> it's got to be bad. It's got to be so bad. That, that budget was so enormous, but it flopped so hard. Yeah. That would be probably, that's got to be one of the worst, I would say. I, I don't know. We'll see. I, yeah. Hopefully that gets leaked. We're never going to see hopefully. that voluntarily because it's got to be so bad. No. It's got to be horrendously no, yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway. No, this is, yeah, super interesting. Yeah. I'll have to have a look. So are they showing like, all of their shows? Are uh, they doing this for all their well, shows? Well, they've always just... No, no. It's just the top 10. Um, so, oh, top, top 10, 10 TV sorry. shows, top 10 movies, and then non-English top 10 for both categories as well. And they've always done that okay. for watch hours, but mm -hmm. now they're doing like views as well. So, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Okay. Because obviously, some shows are longer than other shows. So, they naturally generate more watch hours. Um, yeah. But it is... Uh, yeah. yeah I, I love looking at those rankings. And they do week by week as well. So, you can kind of see. Um, right. Yeah, that's a good thing about Netflix is if you want to look at a crazy amount of like TV data, there's so much. <laughs> there's heaps you can yeah. there's heaps you could go through and, and, and look at. You could track, uh, you know, just how many watch hours the whole platform's getting week by week and how that's trended over time. And yeah, there's there's tons of stuff um, to look at. Uh, nice. That's uh, just about it. The only other couple of things was they actually removed one of their plans, so they removed the basic with ad uh, without ads plan. Uh, to kind of go back to the three tiers that they previously had, except now the lowest tier has advertising. Um, so they've kind of simplified that down. Uh, and content spend is down pretty considerably, um, but it's kind of not really by their choice. A big part of that is due to uh, the writers and the actors strikes, which have, uh, well, the actors joined, joined the writers last week, um, but uh, yeah, those mm. strikes have been going on for a very long time um, now. So yeah, 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 they have. Very interesting, Hamish. All right, shall we? Um, 
Should we get to this uh, this funny news story? Yeah, yeah. Finish so, things yeah, off. So Ponzi schema remains a Ponzi schema. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to harp on this too much. I don't want to get political or anything. But I just thought it, it just caught my attention because mm. it's just so funny. Convicted Ponzi schemer granted clemency by Trump, charged with a new Ponzi scheme. <laughs> a New Jersey man who was who had his prison sentence for running a massive Ponzi scheme commuted by Donald Trump on the final day of his presidency was charged Wednesday with orchestrating. <laughs> a similar scheme. Eli Weinstein and four accomplices are accused of overseeing a new Ponzi scheme that prosecutors say defrauded 150 victims out of more than $35 million. How's that for... That's like dollars per victims. That's quite high. 150 victims and $35 million. Yeah, that's crazy. <coughs> wow. Yeah, gee. Yeah, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of uh, Weinstein... Sorry? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah, each. Yeah, yeah. Weinstein has now been charged with defrauding investors three times. <laughs> First came in 2013, where he pleaded guilty to 45 counts of fraud and conspiracy for stealing over $200 million from investors. In 2015, he pleaded guilty in a second case, this time to committing wire fraud while he was on trial for the Ponzi scheme. What? <laughs> <laughs> Weinstein has served eight years of his 24-year prison sentence when Trump granted him clemency in 2021 as one of the 143 people who received either pardons or commutations during uh, Trump's final hours in office. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. 24-year prison sentence. Okay, Mm. like, this story aside, he gets... This guy gets 24 years and Elizabeth Holmes' sentence is nine years. Like, yeah. where's the logic in that? Yeah, I don't like, know, man. I don't know, man. That makes no sense. <laughs> Billion dollar fraud, medical fraud, <laughs> nine years, yeah. Ponzi scheme, uh, 24 years. Mate, she's got two kids. Calm down. That's right. She needs to- sorry. Yeah, sorry. She's got to get back to the kids <laughs> that she had while on trial, knowing she was going to prison. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> uh, breathe, Hamish. Take a couple of deep breaths while I read you the rest of this. <laughs> Um, what else could we see? Yeah, at a press conference Wednesday announcing the latest charges, U.S. Attorney uh, Philip R. Selinger said Weinstein picked up right where he left off stealing millions of dollars from investors through a web of lies and deceit. According to the criminal complaint, Weinstein and his accomplices created fake investment funds and told prospective investors that their money would be used, quote, to invest in lucrative deals involving, among other things, COVID-19 masks, <laughs> scarce baby formula and first aid kits bound for the Ukraine for Ukraine. <clears throat> in order to hide his true identity and his criminal past, Weinstein used the name Mike Koenig when communicating with investors. So there you go. Uh, in addition to the criminal charges facing Weinstein, the Securities and Exchange Commission on Wednesday filed a civil complaint against him and five five other alleged co-conspirators. Quote, over and over, the defendants took money from unsuspecting investors for fake deals and shuffled funds around to pay out either investors, uh, to pay out earlier investors to give the false impression that they were receiving real profits from those deals, wow. said Antonia Apps, director of the SEC's New York Regional Office in a statement on Wednesday. There you go. <laughs> well, there you go, Hamish. Pe- you people go. really don't change, do they? <laughs> No, 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 exactly. It's right. it's kind of strange though. Would I would imagine surely the, the after the first charge they get a ban from being a director of a company or something like that. But um, maybe they maybe they found a way around that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, go. I mean, he was he was running with a fake name, so I feel like he's just ah, <laughs> oh, you know, Mike Coney. You know, I, yeah. I don't think any of this was above board, dude. Yeah, I don't think any of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
crazy. But there you go. Wow. Um, we've got uh, four or five minutes left. Um, do you want to hear about this TikTok music streaming service that they're oh, doing? Yeah. Or should we just jump into some Q&A? No, no. Hit us with this story. It's... Um yeah. Okay, we might have to cut Q and A short today. I'll just I'll run through this because I, I think it was quite interesting. It says TikTok tests music streaming service in Australia, Mexico, and Singapore. It says TikTok is launching its subscription-based music streaming service um, to a small group of test users on Wednesday. The expansion comes after the popular short video app launched TikTok Music in Indonesia and Brazil earlier this month. "Quote: We are inviting users in Australia, Mexico, and Singapore to participate in the TikTok Music closed beta test from." Today, the company said in a statement, participants will be offered a free three-month trial to test the service. Um, I think that's pretty much all I have to say. Um, but I, the the reason that I wanted to bring this up, there is a little bit more, but that that's the main point of it. They're launching this um, this subscription music streaming service. I think this is really smart. I think this is really smart from TikTok. And the reason that I say that is that so many songs go viral through TikTok. So many people, they don't realize it, but they become familiar with songs through TikTok. I mean, artists, they try desperately to get their new songs being used on TikTok. So I think it's any sort of seamless integration from a music streaming service with the TikTok app itself is going to be just, I feel, a match made in heaven. I mean, if you're just scrolling TikToks and you hear that like jam that people are now using and you're like, oh yeah, I dig that. And from the app, you can just be like, add to playlist and you can just start listening to that. And from your TikTok scrolling, you like build out playlists of songs that you like just from the TikToks that you watch. I feel like that's pretty smart. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting world now for artists because there's there's obviously you know so much competition for for music artists, but it's it, it really is just about yeah, it's just about kind of growing your platform. And TikTok is one of those places where yeah, if you look at if you look at the charts at any given point, like global charts, there's always a bunch of TikTok music on there, whether or not you like yeah. it. But it, it it that's how yeah. much viewership that TikTok is getting in front of these artists that it's just driving those songs to the top of um to the top of um the the charts so yeah i mean it mm. does make sense I, I honestly i'm not actually sure how these kind of businesses work um like what deals they have with uh record labels or artists yeah. I, I don't know um i don't know either the, the the logistics of how that works but um yeah interesting interesting to see because if they can make deals uh in the same way that spotify has and youtube music or, or is it youtube music yeah uh yeah then um yeah, what what's kind of the competitive advantage, and and can they just compete on price? Basically, um, mm. it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way I see it is that people hear a lot of music on TikTok. Artists want to be featured on TikTok, so for TikTok, let's do it. Makes sense. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's make it happen. Um, anyway, right. with that said. Hamish, we are smack bang on an hour. Do you still want to do maybe a question in Q&A? Let me, let me throw you a really quick one. Um, okay. I'll throw you, sure. throw you this one. Let's do it. Uh, thoughts on, uh, well, this must have been in relation to our debt ceiling uh, conversation a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Thoughts on the third option for the debt ceiling, to remove it. Most countries don't have one as it's a bad policy. Uh, the reason the US has one is so that Republicans can pressure Democrats for spending cuts. 
Any, yeah, any I mean that's certainly the way it's been used, isn't it? Well, and and vice versa, it goes both ways. The other party uses it as you know as uh, as leverage. And you're right. I mean, most countries around the world don't have a debt ceiling, so um, I think Warren Buffett said something about getting rid of it as well. I can't quite remember exactly what he said, but I mean. You can get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, he said something funny like uh, um, tie it, tie the debt ceiling to their to their pay or something like that. Or or yeah, uh, what was it? Um, I can't actually remember what he said about it. It, it was something yeah, about something about um, you can't be up for re-election if you pass the the ceiling or something like that. Something like that. Uh, but I mean, it's I, I don't know. When it comes to the debt ceiling, most countries in the world don't have it. Has it caused a major catastrophe in other countries? Eh, rarely, not really. So I, I think for a, comp, a country that's so scrutinized like the US, you could do fine without one. Yeah, the debt ceiling doesn't really do... What do you think? Well, it, do, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, which is no, supposed it to be a debt ceiling. It's supposed to be a limit. It, it yeah. doesn't... It's never a limit. It's just a, it's just a no. bargaining point and then it's kicked down the road. So having one or not yeah. having one doesn't seem to be preventing America's fundamental issue, which is they spend too much money. Um, yeah. or, or they need to, Spend or they need to they collect own. more revenue, like whichever, you know, one of those two things has to shift. Yeah. Um, and you, know, yeah. you can debate back and forth which way that should go. But yeah, the, the debt ceiling hasn't ever stopped the U S from spending more money. So no, no, definitely. Yeah. Cause you're exactly right. Once they do hit the ceiling, what do they do? They go, Oh, we should raise the ceiling. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Sign. <laughs> yep. 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 Okay. Up it goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Pretty much. No. Um, all right. Very good, Hamish. Uh, and as always, if you wanted to ask a Q&A question, please leave us uh, either a question in the Spotify uh, question box or you can drop a comment on the most recent version of the podcast on YouTube and we will chuck it in the Google Doc. But with that said, that will bring us to the end of today's show. Thank you very much for tuning in as always. Um, appreciate the one hour that you give us. Um, hopefully, that was actually quite interesting. I, I, we had we covered some good topics today. Mm. Always good to talk earnings and there'll be a lot more earnings over the next couple of weeks. So look out for that. Yep. Um, but yeah, thanks Hamish for joining me as always. No thanks to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring and we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.